So, I got recognized again, Bill. So this is number three? This is the third time, and you know what? It's not becoming any easier. <laughs> I was with the captain uh, waiting for a bus in, in Dublin. Um, she was back over from South Korea for a bit. And uh, we're standing at the bus stop, and this chap comes up, lovely chap comes up, and is like, that's Artifexian, like, to me. Uh, mm-hmm. Which automatically is really strange, because it's kind of like, I know who I am, and you know who I am, but I don't know who you are. And it's this really odd dynamic. Uh, and like being told like you are this person, it's like, yes, I know this. Um, and anyhow, so I was kind of taken off guard because I didn't expect like in, you know, to, to, to be recognized there. And like all I did was just laugh at the person. Like, oh dear. Uh, but not as in like, well, I hope it didn't come across as, but it wasn't like, oh, you're a silly person. I just laughed at the concept of like once again being recognized. Right, because it's so alien, and that made me all giggly, and I just giggled at the person, and I didn't even, I, I like, I didn't even say hello or how are you, and like, you know, let's have a selfie together, let's exchange a few sentences. I just like just laughed, and it was like really awkward. And afterwards, I felt terrible because I was like, oh my god, that person must think I'm the greatest douchebag going. So you, you know, laughed at them, and then they just like walked away, and, and no, no, that we both got on the bus. Uh, and this oh, right. person, this person went to the bottom of the bus, and I went up to the top uh, with the captain, which I gotta say is really nice on that person's part because um, I don't know if they did it intentionally, but it was nice to like not have to involve a third person in me and the captain's time, mm-hmm. which was really nice of them. Um, but yeah, I did not paint myself in glory that day, and if that person is listening to the podcast, I apologize. I swear I'm not a dead. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's so bad. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm just gonna say this on the show, uh, so that I, I, it's cemented, and I do this in real life. Next time, if it happens that I get recognised, I am going to thank the person. That's number one. Thank you, and then say, do you want a selfie? Take a selfie together, and and ask a question like, what got you into world building, or something like that, and then kindly excuse myself because I need to. I need to have a modus operandi for this because every single time I'm caught on the hop and the last time it was just mega cringy because, yeah, like I said, I just I just laughed at the person without any other words. Oh, my God, it's just <laughs> so, so awful. So far, the first one went pretty well, right? Uh, the first one is Mr. Clockwork Door. Yeah. Yeah. That was, okay. Technically, that wasn't the first one, but we'll, 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 we'll go with the first one. Wait, what, when was the first one? Well, technically, I was spotted a couple of times in Google, but that was kind of a self-selecting crowd. Yeah, okay, but like of, of like the the civilians, the c- civilian population, the civilians. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a okay. good one. Uh, I think the I... second one, you were drunk. Uh, yes. <laughs> that 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 one didn't go well either, and we took them. And the third one, the third time, you just laughed at the person. Yeah, and oh. It's... Oh, you man, you, you need a PR manager. <laughs> I, 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 you've no idea, like, oh. Uh, it was, and it was a really strange experience for the captain as well, because the captain was like, I, you've told me about this happening, but to see it happening is really odd. To have a complete stranger just be like, hey, you, and use the internet moniker you go under. Um, she was kind of taken aback and was like, huh, people do kind of know you. And I was like, I know, it's, it's, it's kind of weird, like... Um, but yeah, so there you go. Met an artifacts fan at the bus, exchanged no English with them, and just giggled at their it, towards their general location. It's just classic. 
Classic Edgar. So if I get if I get noticed again, I'll keep you informed how it goes. Hopefully next time uh, it'll be better. <laughs> okay, so I have a couple of small little bits and bobs to cover before we should launch into the like the avalanche of uh, Shivani follow up. Um, okay. So we had people, a load of people suggest uh, non-red revolutionary flags. Mm-hmm. And out of all of them, there was too many to list. Out of all of them, the flag of the Republic of Texas, I really like. Okay. I really like just a navy blue flag with a gold star in the middle. Clean, elegant, brilliant. Really, really enjoy it. And uh, I still can't get over the fact that it's not red, though. It doesn't look revolutionary to me. It just looks like a really nice flag. But, <laughs> uh, but there you go. So that's, that's uh, point number one. Um, point number two, I need to correct uh, a Spanish error I made in the last show. I said that uh, ser and estar, the two verbs to be, I said that one was temporary and one was permanent. Mm-hmm. And I got them flipped. I got them the wrong way. Uh, estar is temporary and ser is permanent. And I just want to make that clear for any... Spanish learners or Spanish people who may have been a bit peeved at that. Uh, So that's that one. And then the final one, really interesting point for me, is someone in the subreddit, a you slash one the gecko, asked about, are there other world building podcasts? Now, I don't like the fact that people like like other creators are like, would think about encroaching on our territory. (laughs) <laughs> no, no, that's not that's not cricket at all. We're gonna have to sort that out. <laughs> yeah, what you got? But but at the same time, it's kind of like I would like to listen to other world building podcasts because I don't now. I don't know if any uh, really good ones exist. So, uh, just putting it on the show. If someone knows of a good world building podcast, um, and specifically a world building podcast, not like a language podcast that can be used, say, in your conlangs. Or not like mm-hmm. a geography podcast that can help you with geofiction. Specifically a podcast dealing with the concept of world building. Uh, if anyone knows that, knows of one, uh, let me know. And I will put it in the next show for everyone else who's into podcasts and world building as well. Because I think that um, can be, uh, will be quite important. Yeah? For sure, yeah. For sure. That is, I believe, the quickest amount of time I've ever done follow-up in. Let it be noted, Edgar did his entire follow-up in under eight minutes. <laughs> All right, Bill, do you want to crack into what is going to be a little bit longer, I'd imagine, uh, Shibani follow-up? Uh, well, I, want, I just want to say my favourite of the non-red revolutionary flags was the Eureka flag. The Eureka flag. Can you send me an email, uh, link it to me? Uh, yeah, just a sec. It was, uh, so it's from an Australian... Uh, rebellion, the Eureka Rebellion, and it's a navy field with um, the Southern Cross, like the five stars of the Southern Cross, joined by a cross. Um, and oh, I to you. this sounds familiar. I think that didn't make my favourite uh, list um, because those stars it's connected to are a little bit, um, a little bit too big. I think if that's if I'm thinking the right one, they look a little bit comical. Yeah, yeah. The stars of on the cross for me just look a little bit too comical. Okay. Um, and or the the thickness of the cross is a bit thick. It just looks a little bit cartoony. Um, okay. 
So if it was redesigned slightly, I think it would be a much better flag and it would rival the uh, the, the Texas flag. Also, the stars, I don't like the fact that they're so pointed. There's too many points. What are they? They're, too many points. What are they? Eight? Seven? Seven pointed? Eight. 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 So eight point stars. I, I don't know. They look... I, I didn't, I, they're not as good as the, the Texas one. In my opinion, obviously. Um, strange that it's navy, navy blue again. Is there any sort of... Why navy blue? Is this the next go-to colour after red? Um, perhaps it's it's a good color. It's a. G- it's, that's I mean it's it's, it's attractive. I it's... mean it's no purple, but you know. <laughs> what, what can you do? Um. Yeah. No. Good. Good flag. Good flag in general. Like it obeys the design laws and it looks aesthetically pleasing. It's just not to my taste. Um. Mm-hmm. But uh. But yeah. So Shibani. Shibani. Um... Shibani. Shibani. Yeah. Thank you for everyone who uh, got interested and who who got uh, who got engaged and left comments and stuff. And, bo- um, and boy, I was I was sorry. And boy, did they like there was they really loads did. loads of comments about Giovanni. It was great, and I just like I really enjoyed reading them and listening to discussions you were having with people. I didn't drop in half the time, but it was it was lovely just listening to what was going on. Brilliant. Yep. Um. There were. Two users um, who had a bit of a, an exchange between themselves, uh, Frid and Kulmer, um, who were like really getting into it and talking about the different ways it could have, the phonology could have developed, etc., and the different grammatical things and my weird pluralization system. And um, I got to say, some people were really close to thing to, to things that I had in mind when developing it. Oh, people, cool! People like, re- were guessing quite close to the mark. Um, yeah, it was Crid how they were thinking about how I'd how the the plurals had developed, guessed pretty close to the mark of, of what I had in my mind. And do, um, do you want to just give a TLDR on that for anyone who didn't read it? Um, so they said, I don't know whether my explanation is any better, but my first thought was that the original prefix for pluralization was N, and that in the proto-language, voiced stops were pre-nasalized. So uh, instead of T uh, turning into D, it was T turning into ND, so T, ND. Uh, and so on and then they they give an example of that and how that would develop over time into the system that i had okay and that was close to what you were working on it was you know pretty similar yeah pretty similar very cool very cool um so let me just scan through the other mentions of here um the the guesses for the the influences were mesoamerican languages and irish which is not correct but i think between everything that was said in the last podcast and that, I can say that my influences were Nahuatl, which I'm probably mispronouncing, but the, the Mexican language, and Welsh, as I said in the last podcast. So that was the the basis of the phonological inventory, and that was where I got the vocabulary. I would take the two words for a concept from each language and mash them together till I found something that I liked and had the nice, correct mouthfeel. Do you know what I tried to do, just on a on a brief tangent from this, is I tried to do something similar for naming in Takar. Right. And you know the whole shtick with the Afro-Brazilian thing I'm going for? Yeah. I tried to mangle uh, Portuguese and Swahili. And right. I just put on the record, those two languages don't mangle very well. <laughs> <laughs> Like I was like, okay, all right, I need to name these stars, right? Okay, let's let's look up the the word for star in each of the, these languages. And like in Swahili, it's something like I can't remember the the exact word. I think it's Mwanga. 
Right. And then, assuming I'm pronouncing that correctly, and then in Portuguese, it's like Estralia. And it's like the two, the two, you can't just cram them together and then do mouthfeel because they're so like vastly different, you know? Um, mm-hmm. So I I was excited when you, when you uh, did this approach in the last show and I was like, yes, I'm going to do that for my thing. And then just like the Afro-Cuban, uh, the Afro-Brazilian um, conceit was just like completely did me in. Completely did me in. <laughs> um, but yes, yeah, more Shivani. Um, so oh, John look, Lang. No, sorry, hang on. I have a que- sorry. I have a question about the thing. Why did you go for the Mexican language and Welsh? Like, why those two? Um, I just always like for for ages now, like for a couple of years now, I've had it in my head that it would be interesting to combine those sounds. That that's all. Okay, and like just because you listened to it and were like, oh, they're quite similar. They'd work well together. Uh, no, I didn't expect them to be to to be particularly similar. Um. They were just lucky that they both had it was it was lucky they both had the um uh voiceless lateral alveolar fricative, is that the right one? The the double L in Welsh? Uh good uh, no, I don't think that's what it's called. Oh sugar. Alve- alve- <laughs> alve- an alveolar fricative? No, it's it's a lateral. It's a lateral sound. But it's the class sound. Sorry, yeah, yeah, the, the lateral Alveolar lateral fricative, isn't that it? Something like that, yeah. But it's anyway. For the record, it's the cla sound. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, cool. All right. Well, that's that's as good as reason as any. Just you were like, I think the two of them will go well together, and they did. Your words worked really, really well, mm-hmm. and a really lovely ring to them. Um, Thank you very much. So, anything else in the subreddit that you think is important, pertinent? Um, John Lang had had a good few things to say. Um, being a, a Welsh speaker himself. Um, he he clarified the use of the Welsh unvoiced nasals. That's that's there in the thread if anyone wants to find it. Um, he kind of agreed with you over the well, no, he he didn't agree with you that the use of C should be avoided, but he he thought that it it, it could have been avoided in Shabani. Um, so when when presenting my my language, I could have I could have you know used a TS or something. Um, it just doesn't feel right to me somehow, and I can't exactly explain why. Um, I'm also I'm I'm trapped in a kind of a difficult thing here because I want to, be, because everything that I'm presenting has to be kind of easily flipped into an in-universe form, mm-hmm. and I'm not expecting that they will have the Latin script in Yanspar. Then I've basically I've locked Shabani into at least in this instance being written with some kind of alphabet or abjad. So I need to have everything that I've presented as a single sound needs to be able to be represented by a single glyph according to how I've written that blog post. Um, uh, why, is this, just, why, why is this a bad thing? Like, why are you locked into this? This sounds great. Well, no, it's not like necessarily a bad thing, um, but it, it's just it, like I have made that decision and it is going to be hard for me to write a way out of that if I want to write a way out of that. I could just say that this book used a weird system of writing it that isn't actually all that popular or it was only used for a couple of you know a couple of years or whatever um but as regards the c i just i wanted to i I could easily see um ts happening together naturally as part of a word um without it being the 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 t sound Oh, okay, so you don't want to use TS as a sort of uh, single glyph to represent the uh, affricate because T and S could happen 
in isolation, but next to each other as well. And you don't want there to, conf- to be confusion on that front. Exactly. And, okay. the, and the way I've written the language, that's less likely to happen with the other double glyphs that I've used, like the HM for the voiceless nasals and stuff. It's unlikely for that, a H in isolation to occur beside an M in isolation. Right, right. That, that makes sense. That makes sense. Definitely. Um, so that that's kind of what I'm getting at. Now, I'm sure that's not entirely consistent. I'm sure there's other kind of inconsistencies in how I've put the language together, but that was that was my thought process. Um, and he suggests that if it's Shivani is meant to have uh, Welsh influences, I should incorporate mutations, uh, which is definitely a thing I've I've been considering about uh, about the language. Now um, I I would explain mutations here. So mutations are how in Celtic languages the word itself will actually change according to grammatical reasons. Um, so the the obvious uh, version here is um, urus and shavus in Irish, where you change the initial sound either by uh, putting a H after it or by putting another consonant in front of it. So um, ban, which means woman, you could it would sometimes be said as van with a bh turning it into a v sound or um does m b e n that might not exactly occur but for example uh if you put an m before it you just pronounce the first letter man yeah yeah and there's similar stuff in welsh that the uh whereas it, whereas when we write irish we put in an, an extra letter beforehand in welsh they just change the first letter but it's quite a similar um phenomenon yeah, it's it's so the words themselves change in a ways that they don't in English. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I I agree totally. If we're going down the the Welsh inspired bent, I think that's uh, definitely a thing you should explore. Uh, for no other reason than it's just really interesting. Um, yeah. And it takes you away from the English paradigm, which is good. Um, yeah. No, I'm not sure to what extent I do think of it as being a, you know, meant to have Welsh influences, or think of it as being a sort of a Celtic language. That was just one. Um, inspiration for the phonology and the vocabulary, but well, I mean, you know, because if, I'm into the Celtic languages, it's and because I think mutation is an interesting thing to play with. Yeah, why not? Right, and the, but the sound of it is also like straight away uh, Celtic to me. Like if the shoe fits, oh, really? Yeah, yeah, okay. definitely. Well, yeah, Celtic in the broad sense, like not Celtic in the Irish sense, but uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Like if the shoe fits, then uh, maybe it's worth doubling down on the Celtic thing. Um, yeah. Does that fit with your setting? Like, is the setting a Celtic-inspired thing? Like, because again, I remember not, Janspar. Not, not at all. Yeah, I remember Janspar being like a desert uh, thing. Well, the where we set that game was kind of desert. Yeah, in in Shiban, in the Shibani Spur, was a desert setting. But it's you know it's an entire planet. So. So mm, yeah. So then. But I don't really think of things as, as having... Okay, for the purpose of Janspar, I try not to have things be direct analogues of existing or previously existing cultures. Um, that's the thing I'm, I'm kind of trying to avoid. And, I mean, just because it has a Celtic-sounding language doesn't mean... Sorry. Just because it has a Celtic-sounding language, in my mind, doesn't mean it should be tied to being in a Celtic-type setting. Right, right. No, that, that, that's very true. And if, if that's what you're comfortable with, then, yeah, um, that makes perfect sense. Um, mm-hmm. to do cool a- anything anything else um let me just have a quick look over no, i think that was the the guts of the follow-up um john Did... lang actually suggested that i make kind of a history of the phonology and like all its its related dialects which sounds like a huge undertaking yep. um and seems a bit beyond my abilities but he says it's it's doable and there's um 
there's good sources for it. And it's definitely the kind of thing I would do, given the opportunity. <laughs> I mean, on an infinite timescale, Bill, everything's doable. <laughs> um, um, no, uh, but, uh, congratulations again. I know I said this last show, but it was good. I, I genuinely enjoyed it. Thank you very much. I, um, and thank you to everyone who, who engaged and commented. Yeah, it was it was great. Um, and it was great just reading along uh, as a kind of passive third party as well. Because I didn't really want to get involved. It was like, this this feels very much like a Bill and the Artifacts of Fans thing. And it was great just reading along. So, uh, thoroughly enjoyed. Thoroughly enjoyed. And cannot wait until we get to uh, this week's world building. So, Or this month. I, I, this I hope it lives up. It, it, it definitely will. It definitely will. Okay, so is that follow-up done? Um, unless we want to have a quick look at emails. Oh, emails. Yes, emails. Go. Um, okay, so Sam W. sent an email. Um, I'm just going to actually double-check that's the correct name. Samwa. 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 Sent uh, an email on the evolution of three eyes. So this is to do with your your three-eyed hybrid animals. Mm-hmm. Um, and was said that Antakar... An early warning system would be a huge advantage in an evolutionary sense. And if we assume that the star has been behaving this way since the evolution of animals, um, it would probably evolve very quickly and maybe before the evolution of eyes as we know them. Um, Therefore, the third eye would probably serve the dedicated purpose of watching for changes in ultraviolet, while the other two eyes develop and adapt for other purposes. And that's, yeah, that's that's all um, spot on. And he talks a little bit about the different kinds of eyes evolving in different uh, groups of animals. Um, But my question there would just be, why would it be eye-like? If it evolved beforehand and as a separate structure, why would they evolve to be similar? Why would it evolve to uh, per- be perceived as an eye? Yep. Um, especially on creatures that like only kind of look in one direction. You know, it'd be seemingly would it be more useful to have it kind of have their skin sense UV or oh. you know, just the, that that it would that it would turn into a structure like that uh, closely analogous to you know an eye for normal light. Um, would strike me as as peculiar if we're going like re- like thinking really deeply about the science of this. Now, um, now I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna just uh, put an end to all talk of free eyes here for a second. I went I went back to uh, like solidify in my head what exactly I had uh, world built on this podcast over the past like I don't know six seven months or whatever. So I went back, started gathering all the data, the things I said, and I realized that the stars as they were first constructed, are not the type of stars that have that flare. So, the, <laughs> so, so this is not an issue. Whoops. <laughs> and I will bring this up in, in the, the main topic. Uh, so I am going to uh, thank you to Samwa for writing and engaging that way. But I'm going to retcon all the three eye stuff. Oh no! Yeah, because it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense anymore. Because the, the so you need to M stars flare. Uh, right. And other non-main sequence stars flare, uh, and we're not dealing with them. We're dealing with K stars, and just the hard science nut in me wants to be like, no, that wouldn't be a thing. Um, so I'm gonna have I'm gonna have to retcon or make make them weird mutations or some weird thing. Um, so but will they still have three eyes? Probably not. Oh, <laughs> we're sad for my fictional animals. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, so I I've, I'm going to take away the three eyes, um, okay. and, and we'll dis- I'll discuss this further in in the main topic. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cool. cool. Anything else? Uh, we've got one email from the Cipher Fox. Um, that is a cool username. It's a pretty good username, isn't it? Yeah, Cipher Fox. Um, 
who was talking about uh, heraldry and just gives us some tips about uh, understanding heraldry and says that it's actually really simple. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, uh, if you're, you know, talking about like uh, classical heraldry from a, a particular era, like medieval from 1100 to 1400. Yeah, yeah, not space um, heraldry. Not space heraldry. No. Yeah, but I mean, if you're talking about space heraldry, you can make up the rules and you can make it if you want. You can. You are the arbiter of space heraldry. <laughs> um, also says that I got the order of cause and effect wrong with the development of a knightly class and coats of arms. Coats of arms were developed to distinguish between individuals once they donned their full helmets, and only those who could afford heavy armor needed a coat of arms. Um, and only the affluent could afford the armor, and then they developed to be a separate class over time. I can't remember exactly how I phrased it in the, the last episode, but I, that doesn't really contradict anything I said in my mind. Like, it's still, it is the marker of an, an affluent, privileged class. So whether it, whatever the cause and effect is there, that doesn't change the, the end result that it is the marker of, you know, these wealthy, privileged people. And I think, that's, I just think that's something worth considering when engaging with heraldry as a concept. Now, the other people contradicted it on the um, thread for the last episode, which is completely fair, that in some countries that wasn't the case and it wasn't to do with wearing uh, armour and things, that anyone, any peasants or any burghers could have, uh, could have a coat of arms. Now, um, and it was more true in some countries that it was only for the affluent or whatever. But, you know, those are all dimensions that I think are relevant to consider. Now, I'm going to jump in here with two things, right? Point, and I'll make it quick. Point number one, uh, mm-hmm. heraldry. Is heraldry a uh, European thing only? Or do we I would ha- assume so. Do we have an analogy to heraldry somewhere else in the world? Because if, if so, I would be very intrigued to see um, because it is, it's, so it's, it's a way, if I understand this correctly, it's a way of marking kind of who you are. Yeah. 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 So surely that, uh, would be a thing that other people in other parts of the world would like to do, would have liked to do, in which case, what are they doing in, in, in where heraldry should be or whatever? Do you know, do you understand what I mean? Like, what was the, what was heraldry like in medieval Thailand? Yeah, or what What did they do in place of heraldry, for example? Like, in place of where a European person would go, oh, that's that's where you would use heraldry to, like, identify oneself. And, and if yeah. they weren't using heraldry, what is it that they were doing? I think that's very interesting. And if anyone has mm-hmm. any, any thoughts on that, uh, you can leave that in the sub. I would be very intrigued. Um, that's point number one. Point number two, someone sent, and I don't have the username, and I'll, I'll put it in show notes or something to clarify. Um... Someone sent me my co- my my coat of arms. Oh, which was nice. The ancient arms of Grunwald. Yeah, uh, huh. and I see. I don't have an eye to distinguish like whether or not this is a nice coat of arms. Uh, it's very the Republic flag of the the, the Texas. It's very blue and yellow, um, and it's <laughs> it's got like a a, a prancing unicorny. Is it a unicorn? Hold on. Yeah, a prancing unicorn and then a helmet and lots of frills and... Yeah, like it's intriguing that this is a thing that I've been made aware of. Uh, I'm not entirely sure how aesthetically pleasing I find the thing. But then again, I don't know if heraldry's a particularly aesthetically pleasing thing. It's quite... It's quite involved. There's a lot of there's a lot of detail going on, you know? Yeah. Which is kind of... Oh, like, I found here it was, it was Iota Squiggle. 
I owe it a swiggle. Well done. Real time, real time fact checking there, Bill. Well played. Real time fact checking. Um, um, oh yes, I did see this. Yeah, so it's it's a a yellow, or well, I suppose a a gold dancing unicorn on a gold hill against a blue background. I am just dancing unicorn. You had me at dancing unicorn, Bill. <laughs> Um, yeah, so that's the coat of arms of, of Grumald. Um, so we, do we have anything else in the emails? We have five more minutes. No, that's that's the emails done. And I think I think that is the, the follow-up complete. I believe we have complete follow-up in a record time today. We are under 40 minutes. Oh, we, they, I, am, I am so happy. <laughs> brevity, wow. Brevity, brevity is something to be admired. This is great. That's amazing. I, I, genuinely smiling here because I can see myself later on in edits being like this is so good <laughs> <laughs> you know the way we're, we're meant to like every month do a little bit of world building yeah and how I said at the start that some months uh, one of us uh, or both of us uh, may fail <laughs> at the thing right uh, this has been a month where Edgar has failed at the world building and it's not for okay. lack of trying so I just want to I just want to clarify what's going on so I started, we had a suggestion in the subreddit about doing governments. Mm-hmm. Um, and you had said about someone else suggesting religion. And I was like, oh, okay, these are interesting ideas. I'll have a pop at that. And because this is kind of low-level stuff, um, I was like, I started working on it and then I realized I don't know enough about my world to be able to say all these things. Um, so I was kind of like, I found myself like backtracking being like, okay, no, I need to sort out what this, what this is will be before I do that thing. And then in sorting out that, I had to go back another level and do all this. And I was like, okay, this is chaos, right? You know what you're going to do? You should just, just document all the stuff you've done so far, put it in a nice little place where you know what everything is, solidify it and then move forward from there. Right. And Good idea. Th- thank you. And I was like, and I'd like Artifacts uh, fans, I should stop saying that, I would like the listeners of Artifacts scene to be able to see this as well. So I was like, the perfect thing is make a wiki. Make a wiki mm-hmm. for Takar that people can can see. Um, and oh my God, have you ever tried to make a wiki online? No. It's hideous, right? It is, it is, <laughs> it is the worst process ever. Like, and it's not just a case of you go to wikia.com and you just put in all your things and drop down and drag some things. It's like... It's just the most unresponsive UI ever. So I spent a good couple of nights just failing at creating a wiki. So I've gone back and just worked in Voodoo Pad and just I've started like trying to get all the stuff together from all the things I've said over the past like year or so and put it into this one place so I can have that and then build on that. So this is why I have nothing to present. Um, other than I named my two stars, wait for it, drum roll please, tack one. And tack two. Okay. <laughs> That's like the extent of the new world building that has been done. Uh, okay. Uh, everything else was uh, was just gathering data. So I am so, so thankful, Bill, that you have something to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and so do you want to crack into that? Okay. Well, um, as Edgar said, someone suggested that we uh, do some religion building. And that is what I've done. Well, hey, and there's Edgar, have... religion, religion, religion on the internet, never an issue. This causes never, <laughs> this never causes any problems. Um, I'm dealing with fictional religions entirely, so I hope that it will be, it will be okay. It'll be fine. Um, It'll be fine. <laughs> uh, Edgar, have you read what I sent you? 
yeah, so Bill, in usual Bill manner, wrote a small piece of prose about a religion uh, in the style of in-universe, someone writing about a religion they encountered. And yes, I did read this. And Okay. And if I, I pause, pause the show here, guys, and go listen, it'll be linked in, in the show notes. Or go read, it'll be linked in the show notes. It'll, it'll um, be on my Tumblr. It'll be on your Tumblr. Um, I, so have I got the point of this right? Mm-hmm. Person goes to live with, in quotes, native people. Uh, okay. And, and writes about their religion, how he, exper- he or she experiences um, that religion. And mm-hmm. it talks about this idea of like when you uh, when you overcome a foe, um, mm-hmm. one thing that happens is that you like kind of you you humiliate their gods or whatever. Yeah, you desecrate the shrines. You desecrate their shrines and all that sort of jazz. Uh, am I am I right in thinking here that at the end, the way it's written implies that the person is once again coming to take over the, in quotes, native people, and they are now desecrating their gods in the manner of the people that they are uh, taking over. Okay, where have we heard that that format before? Uh, in the last show. The, well, no, two shows ago. Oh, the two shows ago? Yeah, yeah, this is like, uh, this is like another part of that sort of idea. It, yes, it is, uh, it is a piece by the same ambassador. The same guy. In the same setting, and you know, writing back to the same whoever he's reporting to. Okay. Okay. So now, if if you go back and you read, um, or if you listen to uh, the two episodes ago, where I presented the town of Kappa, um, and you look at what I read, what I wrote about Kappa, um, uh, and then read this, this will be another installment in this same individual's reports back to their superior. Oh, that's great. So now we know that the people who live in Hapa uh, are the e- Inlami? Um, broadly speaking, yes. Um, they're, they're certainly a, a northern... It's, a, it's in the northern end of the realm of Nlamo. Um, and as I said in, in that, that writing, they kind of don't really consider themselves to be part of it. But, you know, functionally they are. Um, but yeah, so we have a name for the country... Uh, that the envoy is in, we have a name for the king, and we have some details about their religions. And you have a couple of names of their their gods in quotes. You have the Gapo, which is like their leopard spirit, Caro, uh, crocodile spirit, Saasto. Saasto, yeah. Oh, I did I did the double A right. The snake spirit, Zamodal, uh, the eagle spirit, and Nimata. The elephant spirit. Gee, I envy your ability to name things. Oh my god! Like... I wrote. I wrote most of those like like two hours ago. <laughs> <laughs> those names. I, like, I had the ideas for the for the gods, but the names were just like completely beyond me. <laughs> so, do you want to for 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 the lazy in, in quotes? Uh, do you <laughs> do you want to give a TLDR of this religion system for the people who don't want to read or can't read? Okay, so um. In Nlamo, in this country that where, where the envoy is, there is no single religion. There isn't a single um, church. There's no single pantheon, even. No centra- uh, a and, lot of- and no centralised like um, institution around that either, I assume. Exactly. No centralised yeah. religious institution or authority or infrastructure or anything like that. Um, and 
it's implied by the the writings of the envoy that that does exist in his native country that there is a centralized religion um and so for this reason because it's, it's kind of a sort of a religious anarchy um there's lots of different variations and lots of different things happen um but it lacks this kind of centralized uh, what's the word i'm looking for here prescriptive single idea of worship mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um he specifically describes uh five of the gods from the western and southwestern regions of the country of Nlamo. um uh, so will i just read through them and 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 name each of the ones i've described go for it uh so the the first one here is gapo who's the leopard spirit and he's the patron of the king of Lamo. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's one of the most popular gods uh, of this kind of interconnected belief system in the West and Southwest. Uh, I chose the leopard because you know, leopards are, you know, big and like powerful animals, but they're also kind of ambush hunters and they're they're stealthy. So it represents wisdom and cunning alongside brute strength. Okay, yep. Um, and that's you know that's kind of what what the followers uh, perceive as ideals, and that's what they look to the god for. Uh, this combination of of intelligence and and power. Now I, I'm going to jump in here er, just earlier in your prose. You write a little bit about how uh, they don't have an idea of like Gapo is the god of X. It's like yeah, their their gods are they have multi functions. It's like uh, the impression I get is that they. They are like the god of everything. Like every god is the, the god of everything. And you just mm-hmm. take one of them. They become your personal god. So Gapo, for one, whoever uh, takes that god, is their god of war, agriculture, love, fertility, the whole shebang. Um, yeah, more or less. Okay. Like, obviously, some gods will have certain things that they would be seen as better as than others. Like, you know, you might pray to a certain god when you're you know, for protection on the roads, or you might pray to a certain god for another thing. But it's not like that Gapo is the god of strength, or any other god is the god of the weather, or the god of the sky. Um, it's more to do with these are the gods of places, or, or of people. So the the people that follow them will pray to them for a good harvest, and they'll pray to them for a good weather, and so on and so on. And So is... it's, it's getting a little bit away from the traditional... Um, idea that we have in fantasy and that we have from kind of um our interpretations of greek and roman mythologies and things that you know these the gods are the gods of x um it's not quite the same as that yeah which which stuck out of me straight away on first reading i was like oh that's an interesting little like slant on mm-hmm. things a uh, real life precedent for that or is that something you've just made up um i don't know exactly if there's real life precedent for it but I do think that we tend to have a quite limited idea of how religion and faith works as sort of modern Westerners. Um, like in even even taking our, our own kind of cultural religious heritage, like the the Israelites didn't believe that uh, Jehovah was the only God. It was just Jehovah was the only God that they worshipped. There's a lot of evidence that for a lot of history, they believed in the existence of other gods, but didn't worship them. Right. Um, so that they, you know, they they were like, yeah, Baal exists, but Baal is not our God. So I was kind of building on that sort of idea. And also, now I could be completely wrong here, but I've, I've read stuff to the effect that the idea that you are one religion or another is quite a modern uh, Western concept, that this kind of 
strict prescriptive idea that you know you are a Christian or you are a pagan or you are Jewish or whatever. And that in even in modern times in parts of Asia, they're not seen as mutually exclusive in that way. And they're seen as like revealing different things which are equally valid. That's very... I did not know that. Yeah, it's that's, interesting, isn't That's it? very interesting. That kind of blows my mind. Like, I'm kind of thinking, like, yeah. how do people function like that? Because, of, yeah, you're so used to this prescriptive idea that you are in box X. Um, yeah. Or not in a box at all if you choose to be like that. Um, but, yeah, that's interesting. You can kind of, like, chop and change sort of thing. And you can um, find a home in any religion. That's really, yeah, it's fascinating. Huh. Yeah. And, you know, I, 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 I'm perfectly open to being corrected on this, but I have heard stuff to the effect that there's a lot of people in Japan um, will practice both Christianity and Shinto. And there's not seen as there being a contradiction between that. Uh, Shinto? It's a Japanese religion. Okay, okay, right. Um, yeah, that's really cool. That's kind of really hmm. nice. It's just really, it sounds, yeah. <laughs> sounds really inclusive. <laughs> like, and, 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 and go on. No, no, you go on, go on. And so I was, I was just building on that idea because I, obviously me being me, I kind of build it up. It was like, mm, well, when I'm world building here, let's interrogate the actual base thing here rather than just like adding facts. I wanted to kind of think about how this concept of religion works and other ways that religion could work rather than just like switching around the facts and saying I've made a new religion. Right, exactly. Yeah, and it's good. Good world building practice as a whole because to 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 throw up the lens and um have it be commentary on uh, real life sort of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I have a point slash criticism. Okay. <laughs> oh boy. Uh, so you talked earlier about like you want to move away from uh kind of stereotype analog type things like if this if these people are in a desert they're going to be analogs of arabian people or whatever sure are you not kind of sort of doing that here like stereotyping in a way that like it seems and this was the case two shows ago it seems very much like you have native american people and then the uh what's called westerners coming over and the native the, the way you write about uh this group the Nalami, it kind of, mm-hmm. your words again imply that, like the leopard spirit, the crocodile spirit, and the fact that it's no centralized thing and it's very personal. It all strikes me like it's very kind of Native American informed. And then part of me is kind of like, well, why don't we have a uh, a stronger twist on that? A stronger sort of like, I'm unable to place this culture in the real world. Like this is something that is a, a unique invention and has no analog. Um, well, that, okay, so that, that statement about not wanting to make analogues was regarding Janspar. Oh, are we not? I thought, I thought we're still in Janspar here, no? No, this is Handwavia. Oh, this is Handwavia. Oh, I'm sorry. This is Handwavia. This and Hapa are both in Handwavia. Oh, okay, okay, right, grand. So the different rules of, of the game apply. Well, yeah, it's, I mean, I still, I'm not too keen on presenting, like, direct analogues. Um, but it's it's less. I'm less concerned about that than I am in in Janspar. Like Handwavia is a little bit more, a little bit more free. Ultimately, it's a little bit more straight fantasy. Um, and I'm less kind of I'm less precious about the how I'm presenting it. Okay. Um, but that said, it's not Native Americans and Westerners. But it sounds so much like that from the outside. Okay. 
And like, but what? So, if it's not Native Americans and Westerners, what was your base? Where did you start with here? Or are you revealing um, that? Yeah, I mean, I think I can reveal it because I, I did say that I'd, I, I think a couple of episodes ago that I'd, I'd talk about it in in a future episode. Um, okay, well, look at the animals. What, 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 what spirits are there? Leopard, crocodile, snake, eagle, elephant. Like it sounds, it sounds African. Yeah. Right. So it's rather than being um, Native American, uh, Nlamo is very, very broadly and without like intending to represent any facts about anything in the real world, very, very broadly inspired by impressions of South Africa or Southern Africa. Right. But, but they, okay. So therein kind of maybe lies my problem, this idea of impressions, that it's kind mm. of like the impression we get of people who are not Western. Do you know what I mean? Okay. Like the, the impr- yeah. we, we, we think that people who are not Western and we think of like traditional religions, we're like, oh, they're going to be very spirit based and it's going to be like very lots of animals going on and it's not going to be centralized and it's very personal. Um, whereas uh, perhaps it would be, uh, not, I don't want to use the word better because your writing's very good, but a more interesting idea to be like mm-hmm. animal spirits, blah, blah, blah. But there is a centralized power, for example, that make it the kind of jars you out of the real world. And you're like, huh, I can't really place this in where it is in the real world. Whereas this is, okay, yeah, Native American, I was wrong, but it does have this sort of like getting down with the natives feel that I feel. Yes. I, that I feel. And there is. Yeah, sorry, go on. That, that's deliberate in a way because the the envoy is meant to have a sort of colonialist perspective on it. His writing is coming from a colonialist <gasps> mindset. Yeah, okay. So I'm sorry. This, this, this in-universe writing thing always gets me. Okay, right. So it, so they, the Nilamo themselves may well not be what we think, like me and you in the real world think of being, in quotes, a native people. Um they may well be well, yeah. way more diverse, but it's just that this guy might be a bit of a bigot. <laughs> yeah. And he, just, the, and he has no subtlety when it comes to other cultures. That, that's an element of it. Um, and also, um, I was actually, like, I, I describe uh, uh, one religious ceremony in it. And um, in, in some of what I said, now not, not, choosing, not choosing the animals, that's um, certainly something that seems more like uh, colonialist perspectives on... on Africa and Native America, um, but in terms of how I was thinking of the religion, I was thinking of old European religions, like pre pre Christian European religions, and that was that was more of an impulse in my description of the ceremony for, for in particular. And again, for people uh, not reading the the ceremony, this is the one with the cage leopard, isn't it? Yes. Okay. So uh, the it's describing a ceremony held by the king to celebrate uh, an anniversary of his reign. Um, and his, as I said, his patron is the leopard spirit. So they have a, uh, they throw a great feast and there's a, a caged leopard is given prize of place at the feast, you know, beside the king. And they, uh, you know, the leopard is, the leopard is, is given food along with the people and is uh, dressed in blessed garlands of flowers. And then afterwards, uh, there's like, you know, drumming and, and the beast is let go back into the wild. And all of the, all of the celebrants, they drink a hallucinogenic tea. And Ayahuasca. The, uh, not not specifically. Um, <laughs> that's, that's a BG one I thought. Though. I was like, oh, they're drinking ayahuasca. Excellent. Well, I mean, there there are, there are other hallucinogens. Um, they they drink a hallucinogenic tea, and then the the visions that they have are recorded by the cultists and and the scribes of the cultists, and used to kind of uh, divine the future. 
And I was thinking much more about kind of stuff I've read about uh, old European kind of pagan practices and things. Oh, is that? Oh, it's derived from uh, pagan practices. That's interesting. I suppose. Well, I'm, yeah. yeah, I'm. I'm. I'm pretty. I'm pretty sure there was like a religious use of of is it ethnogens is, is the term, um, in in ancient Europe. So. Yeah, I mean, like, yeah, this is. It doesn't surprise me because um, we as a people like uh, entering into altered states, and we usually prescribe a little bit too much meaning to those altered states, um, mm-hmm. than is than is logical or correct. Um, which blows my mind. Like you, the concept of like way back when, when there was like yeah, whatever ayahuasca or whatever, um, or some hallucinogen. It's kind of like psilocybin in Europe. Psilocybin. I never heard of psilocybin. And um, magic mushrooms. Like, it's like oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, magic mushrooms are called psilocybin. Or psilocybin, perhaps. Yeah, that's the name of the of the of the fungus. Huh. I should make that the title for this episode. People are like, what? <laughs> <laughs> So we've got um, Gapo, the leopard spirit, who is the, as I said, the patron of the king and, and the king's uh, kind of um, native region. He's one of the most popular gods in this extended family that I've, I've briefly described. Uh, he represents wisdom alongside strength. And he's traditionally an enemy of Karo, the crocodile spirit, and an ally of Saasto, the snake spirit, and Zamodal, the eagle spirit. Okay. So Karo is another popular god the crocodile spirit, he's seen as more cunning and sly than the leopard. Um, and their followers don't trust each other. In, in the stories, they're kind of, as I said, set up as rivals in, in, the, in the mythologies. And their followers tend to not get along. But um, they don't tend to get along because of the gods or they just don't get along and the god rhetoric has built up around it? Who knows? Who knows? Um... <laughs> And the cultists and followers of Karo are believed to have the most powerful magics. Okay, okay. Uh, then we have Saasto, the snake spirit, who is an ally of Gapo, the leopard. Um, not many... He's, he's not a, a, a popular god as anyone's primary god. Not many not many people have him as their, their number one patron. But he's often worshipped as a secondary spirit alongside Gapo. So multiple worship then is fine here. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, even even someone who, like, worships Gapo primarily might, you know, pray to uh, another god for some specific reason. Right, uh, yeah, like we said earlier, yeah, yeah. Um, the two are often present together in many stories, and they're depicted together in art. And it's uh, part of what he is is kind of the idea that even smaller creatures can have power, because, you know, snakes can be poisonous and... Even though they're not big, they can they can they can be a threat to animals much larger than them. Okay, can, can I jump in? Yeah. Or is that is that the end of the snake description? That's the end of the snake description. Yeah. Okay. Description. Let, I want to jump in here for a second. You mentioned magic a second ago. Yep. So I I I, I want to just interrogate this a bit further. Um, magic in a like pure magical sense, uh, as in the supernatural, does it exist in this world? Mm. Or is it magic the way like some people think there's magic in real life? Uh, I would I say it I actually exists. Can't tell you that now. Let's wait two podcasts. No, I would say that it probably actually exists. Okay, and then uh, the way you're speaking about the gods uh, currently, and not so much from the writing, but just the way you're speaking about it, uh, makes me feel like these gods are um, like actually real okay like you can 
actually go to them and they can appear appear and you can interact with these spirits is that the case or are they are they just standard like deity in the sky sort of thing um i'm not sure you're not sure okay and yeah I don't know. That that's that's something that that's kind of worth interrogating. I think because um, you mentioned before it was a fantasy thing, and the more you speak, the more I'm kind of like, oh, these just seem like mythical creatures that roam the world, anyways. Um, so, so yeah, that'd be an interesting take that they're actually real and you can actually talk to them. Okay, my, just my thing. My little nugget there. Do you want to go on to the eagle spirit? <laughs> yeah. So the eagle spirit is an aloof god. And prefers to reward worshippers who are, who are able to fend for themselves. So if you, you know, to, the way to be a good follower of Zamodal is to actually just like be a powerful person and, and be able to make your own way. And by making your own way, uh, Zamodal will reward you further. And this is, I might need to cut this for the sake of inflaring religious uh, conversations. Is this mm-hmm. like the atheist god? No. This isn't this isn't the god that's kind of like a placeholder god where it's kind of like you kind of do your own thing and don't really worry about the gods sort of god. Mm, no, I hadn't thought of it that way. Okay, I'm, so, I'm sure it could be open to that interpretation, but that that wasn't my creative impulse. Okay, okay, because the, the again the minute you said it there, it's kind of like oh he's put in a, a little uh, element for um, atheist worshippers, atheist <laughs> worshippers, <laughs> people who worship atheists, people who worship atheists. Um, but it sounds like yeah, you've won there. F- that like particularly non-pious people could be drawn towards that spirit, which sounds really interesting. Right. Like that you've yeah, people who don't dig the whole religion thing can still kind of partake in the club, so to speak, and derive whatever it is you derive from it uh, without you know going whole hog. Um, exactly. Yeah. It's, it's that's that's definitely a, a possible interpretation. Okay. Cool. So that's yeah. So that was Zamodal and Nimata is an elephant spirit. Oh, sorry, is the elephant spirit. The elephant uh, She's a primary deity more towards the, the Midlands, like the, the central part of the country, but is, is quite popular in the west and southwest of, you know, where these other gods are worshipped. Um, popular among nomads and plains villages. She's slow to anger, but represents great force when aroused. Uh, she's kind of... Distant from the squabbles and conflicts of the other gods, but has fought or defended most of the others at one time or another. I think it's really interesting that you made the elephant spirit a female deity. Okay. Um, It seems to be, we think of elephants as being like, you know, sturdy, strong, to have Mm -hmm. like traditional sort of masculine values in a way. And I think it's kind of nice that you subverted that. Um, okay. And made the deity a female spirit because, like, I think automatically you'd think of, I don't know, you think of the snake maybe as being female because of like the sort of fricative noises it makes and it's more kind of like sensual or what or whatever sort of nonsense normative. And because there's a lot of like Ophidian female gods in mythology and the the association of the snake and Eve and. Uh, Christianity, yeah. etc., and all that normative nonsense. But it's kind of cool that you, you have. <laughs> but it's kind of cool that you've subverted it here. I don't know if that's intentional, but like I, I certainly would have been. I would have said elephant equals male straight away, which is nonsense, really, okay. and it shows my my um. My, what's your own your own gender programming. My own gender programming, as much as I want to fight it. So I think that's really cool. That's the first thing. Uh, the second thing is this is the only god that you've specifically gendered. 
And mm, is that is, is that something that I sh- is pertinent? Like, are the rest of them non-gender or the rest of them whatever? Uh, Gapo is gendered. Oh, sorry, I didn't, I didn't... He? Did you say he? His followers. His... Oh, I missed his, sorry. But, but most of them seem to be pretty vague here, Bill. So are you... Is it a thing that these gods have really no gender or people assign their own gender to the god when they worship? What's... Is there anything going on here in this regard? Um, I, I had thought of the others as male. Um, okay. And th- these are not the only... Like, it's not just, like, f- four dudes and a girl. Um... These aren't the only gods. These are the five that I've described so far. I might even write more before the podcast goes live. Um, right, yeah. No, I've, I, I, I figured this weren't the only gods. Um, um, but the, these were the, the first ones that came to me and the relationships between them were the first relationships that, that, that arose. I had, I had thought of the others as male. Um, uh, I hadn't thought of them as being, uh, the gods here as being genderless. I had thought of them as being specifically gendered. Okay, just um, now I say that's this, that's a thing I've I've played with elsewhere. The idea that they don't have that they don't have fixed presentations is definitely something I've played with elsewhere, but not as regards the the gods of the Lamo. And it's a cool thing to play with, like in a way that especially when you go with the personal god, it's like you can literally assign what what makes you you to that god. Yeah, um, which I think is a is a very interesting idea. Um, yeah, like it's it's it will be. Especially with as personal a religion as I've, or as personal a religious mindset as I've presented in Lamo, that you could assign aspects of your own identity to it without contradiction. Like, you know, whatever your gender identity is, whatever your kind of um, profession is, what you know, all these different aspects of identity that they could all sort of be summed up somehow. Yeah, that's definitely a... A thing, yeah. Um, yeah. Cool. I think that would be something cool to explore. Uh, so I, I have more points about this. Go for it. God, I love talking about your writing, man. Your writing that's really great. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, the so the guy. Do we have a name for this envoy? Barus Kisma. Barus Kisma. I think uh, so. Barus yeah. Kisma. Um, it's not. It's not a tonal language. Well, it's not yet tonal language yet. His language. Maybe it will be in the end. Yeah, oh. Barus Kisma. Interesting. Tonal language. That, hmm, there we go. Um, so, so Barus seems like the, not the most pleasant of chaps. Okay. Or at least the the whole military campaign he's involved in is not the most pleasant of endeavors. Um, mm-hmm. My question is, and I, I, I know already the answer to this is going to be like, I can't reveal that at this point. But <laughs> I, I, would, I would love to hear uh, or read a piece from Barus that has like a redeeming quality to it. Like he writes to a, say a friend, not back to his superiors, but to a friend and is kind of like, the more I spend time with these people, the more I see them as humans and not just as fodder to be trampled over. And I I am questioning my role within my society and wondering what to do. That would be really interesting because so far it's been like Barus... uh, uh, writes about what he's uh, noted, and then he puts in a horrific twist. Yeah, it's like here's the things I've here's the things I've seen, and here's how we can use it to win a war. Yeah, exactly, right. Like, but not even a war. Like it strikes me like a, a genocide sort of thing. It's like here's how we just wipe these people out. And so it's like it'd be really cool to have Bruce do a one eighty, or at least think about doing a one eighty, and to put that thought 
in writing. And it'd be really interesting to see what aspect of the Nalamo people make him flip. Like, what causes him to be like, actually, there is great wealth in this culture. Mm-hmm. That the, would be... the demonym is the Enlami. The Enlami. Sorry. Sorry. The Enlami. Um, but that, I think that would be a really interesting thing. And I just want to put it out there. That's something I would enjoy reading. Hint, hint. Nudge, nudge. Wink, wink. <laughs> <laughs> um... But yeah, but over that, I think that's all I have to say about that. It's, it's it's great, man. It's really good. Thank you very much. Really good. Thank you very I, much. I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, ha, um, did you find the 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 language as kind of obtuse as as the previous ones I've written, or, or have I gotten more streamlined and, and more coherent? The language, as in, in like of, your prose. Yeah, like you know the way I'm I'm affecting a, a somewhat archaic kind of kind of tone. Yeah, for the listener, can I can I tell the listener about the story? Yeah. Yeah, so Bill once sent me uh, a piece of prose, a similar vein, like in-universe thing. Uh, and it was... That, oh, that, oh, oh, sorry. Sorry, my, my headphone fell out. <laughs> <laughs> so, so Bill sent me this, this piece of prose, in-universe thing. Um, it was... And I, I, and man, I love you, man, right? But I'm going to kind of slightly put you underneath the bus here. It was extremely difficult to read because it was... It was the language was really archaic and mm. lots of like really big compound sentences with like, but just very kind of unfriendly language. Okay. Very, very hard to get oh, into. Was this, was this the thing about plagues? It could well have been. I can't remember. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, that's, that's on, that's on the Anspar blog anyway, if people are, are curious. I, I think it was the thing about plagues. It could be. And I remember I remember writing to you, uh, replying to you and being like, yeah, this is hard to get into. It's very, very, yeah, it's it's not easy to get into. And mm-hmm. your writing, I'm not going to say has gotten better. It's gotten more Edgar friendly. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. other, other people really might dig that aesthetic. Like this goes back to um, the Naomi Watts book. So Watts, the, the dragon book. The no, Pride, yeah. Pride and Prejudice oh, meets Dragon. Naomi Novik. Now, I keep saying Naomi Watts. No, Naomi Is Ovik. that like an, an actor, Naomi Watts? I don't know. I have no idea. We'll 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 we'll, we'll even follow up for next time. Uh, the what's it called? Yeah, like that. Remember yeah, she's we, an I, actor. Is she an actor? Yeah. <laughs> remember, we talked about how for me that the whole that whole language, the whole kind of like antiquated thing, just was so isolating, and I didn't yeah. get into it. But you obviously dig it, and lots of people dig that sort of effect. So I don't want to say that this has gotten better, but it's gotten easier to read, much mm-hmm. easier to read. Uh, and I kind of appreciate the simplistic sort of narrative things in it, like as in Bruce is writing observations, twist, ho- like horror happens. Like that's that's a really mm-hmm. easy thing to engage with, and I, I, that, that, which is good. Cool. Yeah? Yeah. Um, I mean, p- part of my, of my issue with this thing that I do is that I, because I have, say, within, within um, Handwavia, so far I only have one voice. I only have Barus so far. Mm-hmm. Um, and as I said, I'm, I'm a little bit less precious about, about Handwavia. It's, it's a little bit more playful for me. Um, but for Janspar, I have, I think, currently three or four voices. I haven't necessarily written for all of them. And then a couple of other, like, isolated documents. Um and they need to be slightly separate in their styles because they're from different cultures and from different eras. Um, so I have to kind of 
manage a couple of different types of archaic language. And it is it is quite a writing challenge. Probably one that's, like, stupid for me to attempt because I'm, I don't really write that much. <laughs> um, hmm. But uh, yeah, so it 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 is it is it is a challenge. Certainly, Barus is is lot lot easier than the the plague thing that I wrote. Yeah, um, very very much so. Uh, yeah, I think that's probably the, the the most kind of obtuse thing that I've written so far. Because in in the context of of the universe it's set in, it is the most archaic document I've written. I mean, I I think at this point we gotta link this in the show notes. Can we link this in the show notes? Yeah, sure. Yeah, because just see what other people think. Because again, I, I'm pretty sure there'll be a whole raft of people who are kind of like, oh, I totally dig this, man. This is like, this is like Tolkien on steroids. It's all good. Keep, <laughs> keep, keep it coming. And whereas I'm like, short, clean sentences. Like, I derive no more. And I realize this is like, you can't do this because you're going for the whole aesthetic feel that you've just outlined. But I derive so much pleasure if, if, if and when I write, if I can write something in just the concisest, clean most clean way like i remember artifacts mm-hmm. scripts and just being like if i can make a point with just even a single word it's just beautiful like absolutely one word and that's that's a marvelous skill really oh here no hold on without to, getting to be able to, to be able to to communicate that concisely yeah absolutely oh i see i okay i'm not saying i can do that really well uh but i find it a skill the opposite way to be able to like eloquently uh, go on about your point. Whereas I like mm. kind of can't really do that. I'm like, here's the point, full stop, done, move on. Uh, <laughs> and, and there's no like kind of like uh, like interesting evocative language. It's all very simple words and all that sort of jazz. Whereas, mm-hmm. yeah, that's interesting that you find that as a skill. Like I, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, there you go. Um, but yeah, anyhow, so uh, religion building, I like it. I like it. Uh, aside from much. the little criticisms I pointed out about, like, perhaps it's a bit too stereotypically um, native in quotes. Uh, mm-hmm. But that's, but again, we, we've, we've, we've hashed through that. So, but yeah, overall, I really enjoyed it. Thanks, you, man. Thank you. And we'll wait to see what the raft of responses in the Reddit will be like. <laughs> Bill, I, you have an interesting story about your travels to London that involve some metal music, and I think you should totally need to tell everyone about it. Okay. <laughs> Fine. So, um, I took a trip to London this weekend, just past, and the purpose of the trip was to, like, see friends and stuff, but it, it coincided nicely with a concert by a band that I like. And this band is? This band is Primordial. They're an Irish metal band. They've been on the go for ages. They're kind of, this will kind of doomy metal, I guess. Um, links in the show notes yeah and they, they sing a lot about Irish history and stuff and it's really really um, good music and really interesting um, I get a very strong emotional response from them and I don't get a lot of emotional response from music I was just about to say you're not one for the old emotional response no not not, huh. not generally huh. um, but the first time I saw Primordial there was this one song that they do and it just the lyrics really moved me and filled me with like manly patriotic feelings which again <laughs> It's like totally, <laughs> totally kind of alien to my day-to-day experience. So this, this is one of the reasons I really like them. Um, but I was going over anyway, and I was, I was flying from Dublin to Stansted. And I was in the queue for, for you know, the boarding queue to get on the plane. And there's a bunch of metalheads behind me. And, you know, I just kind of saw them and it was like, oh, you know, a bunch of metalheads. I assume they're, they're probably 
traveling together, they must be going over to see the, the Primordial concert. Mm-hmm. And so I, I say to the guy who's like directly behind me, it's like, oh, you go to see Primordial. And he goes, uh, yeah, kind of, kind of says, kind of smiles politely, doesn't really say much. And I was like, yeah, I thought, you know, fair enough. Um, and so I'm, I'm, you know, go down and getting on the plane. And as, as I'm going up the steps to get on the plane, I realize that it, they aren't Primordial fans. They're Primordial. <laughs> the band. I was wearing a Primordial t-shirt and I asked Primordial if they were going to the Primordial gig. <laughs> <laughs> oh god that's uh i'm so i'm now, like i'm so glad that happened it's so funny like. in in my defense right i only really saw one of them clearly and the only like the only one who i know to look at like from the only one who i can like recognize to see is the singer and i couldn't see him from from like the way the queue was and he he like he actually he ended up sitting a little bit in front of me on the plane, um, and he had like a hood up and he had like big sunglasses and stuff on, so he wasn't like particularly recognizable. Um, but it just occurred to me as I was walking down like towards the stairs, like wait, there's a bunch of them. They're not, are they? And so like I I really quickly like I looked them up and I was like, yeah, that's 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 that guy that I was talking to. It's oh, I, I had this image that like you were kind of like, oh, I met the metal fans, that's great, and then you went to the concert. And you're there, like, moshing away, and then suddenly it kind of hits you. You look at one of them, you're like, that's the guy from the plane. But, like, I'm glad you noticed it. And did you go up to them afterwards uh, and be like... No. No. No, I don't like to, like, talk to people who are just, you know, doing a thing and, you know... Like, I don't, I don't like to, like, if someone's, like, kind of famous for some reason or well-known for some reason, I don't like to, to talk to them and bother them when they're just going about their day. Look, this is the thing I said at the beginning, which, um, with the Artifacts of Fan, I, I giggled in the direction of. Um, like, I genuinely appreciate the fact that he was kind of like, oh, you are Artifacts scene, that's great. And then we both continued on with, with uh, our days. Because it's like, it's, it's an asymmetric thing going on there. And it's a really weird, bizarre social situation. So um, mm. I definitely think that that's the correct way of doing things. Like if you meet someone famous, you're just kind of like, go up, say hi. And then, you know, I really like your work and then that's it. And then, yeah, you know, because otherwise it just gets really feckin' awkward. Like, um, mm. I think, but, uh, but there you go. <laughs> they were primordial. <laughs> but anyway, my friend that I went to the, the show with is uh, a metal scholar. And like, I, I know her through metal scholarship. So um, I'll ask her and I'm sure she'll let us uh, link the review she wrote. Of the gig that yeah. we went to. Was it a good and gig? can put it in the show notes. Oh, yeah, it was a really good gig. Really uh, enjoyed it. Primordial and anyone warming up who was... Uh... Yeah, th- there was a band called Crom Dove, who I didn't know before, and I thought they were they were pretty good. Hang on, hang, um, hang on. They didn't make a huge... Crom Dove. Something black? Yeah, yeah like Black Crom. I, I think Crom is like a personal name. Okay, right, okay, grand. Yeah. Um, yeah, Irish for anyone who is wondering. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> Um, they didn't make a huge impression on me until the end of their set. They they closed their their set with a really really good song. Um, then the second band were Fen, who I hadn't heard before and I really enjoyed. Um, there was this kind of sort of black metal, but with this kind of like ambient uh, elements incorporated into it. Uh, black gaze is what it was called when it was really big a few years ago. Um, and then Primordial were the the final band. Um, and yeah, I just like, they, they said really interesting, like the way he speaks about Irish history and stuff and the way he speaks about events is, is really powerful to me. Um, but right. I, I genuinely think that I, I have some kind of, I might have some kind of face problem because 
after the gig was over, like after after Primordial finished their set, um, we went to the merch table to like buy a Fen t-shirt. I'd already bought a Primordial t-shirt at the start and I, I only buy band merchandise at gigs and I liked Fen so much I decided to, to take one of their shirts. Mm-hmm. And I went up and my friend was talking to the guys at the merch table and it took me like a minute to realise that it was Fen. It was the actual <laughs> band. So <laughs> I think I just have some kind of like problem recognising musicians. <laughs> oh, that's hilarious. I, I hope um, that, and I hope... they were lovely. Nice bunch of guys. Uh, yeah, do you know what? I I don't really go to concerts at all, really. Or like... Um... Uh, metal and pop concerts and all that jazz. I go to classical concerts, obviously. Um, for work, yeah. For work and all that. Um, I see, get the impression that the metal scene is really lovely. It's really nice and everyone is really pally and it's really easy to meet um, the musicians and things like that. I have a friend, I have a friend on Facebook be. who's constantly, constantly like, oh, I went to this gig, here's a picture of me with Trivium. And here's a picture of me with this other band. And here's me trying out this guy's guitar at a gig I was at. Um, and he's just a randomer. Like, he's not like uh, opening up for any of these uh, bands. Um, mm. So I get the impression it's like, it's easy to bump into them. Like obviously more so than like, if you went to an Adele concert. Yeah. Do you know? Yeah. I, I think there's less of a, of a distance between fans and performers in a lot of cases. Yeah. Which is, which is something, which is really nice. It's really cool to, to, yeah. to have. Uh, it's a nice community. And this is the thing with so many, you know, like on the surface, um, metal is this like really aggressive, um, hostile sort of sound. Yeah. And the whole like moshing and the whole, the whole thing is just aggression and all this. It's, it's always my experience that things that are like always overtly one way tend to actually be the other way. So like metal is overtly very aggressive, but when you actually get into metal and meet people who are into metal, they tend to be just the loveliest folk, you know, yeah. which is, which is great, which is really cool. And it drives me nuts when people who are out of touch are kind of like metal is evil. It's like, you've never, you don't, you don't understand. <laughs> yeah, you know? it can be. I mean, there, there are, there are definitely problems within, within the community and within the scene and stuff, but yeah, um, but there's problems. I've, I've generally found it to be uh, uh, a welcoming and, a, and a, a fun kind of place. I mean, there, there's elitism and stuff, and there's um, it can be quite it can be quite hostile to to women and to anyone who isn't a white dude in in some in some places. Not not as a general thing. Yeah, but also this is not like a problem unique to metal. This is kind of a problem unique to our society or not unique but it's like it's a societal problem as well endemic to our society yeah but i think we sh- it should still be acknowledged that it oh, does yeah. exist within metal as and, part of that and try to make it better obviously yeah um but uh but yeah that's great man i just love that you met two two bands and both times kind of like mm. <laughs> oh it's brilliant. i did other things in london as well <laughs> uh, do you want oh, to actually can i tell Go. Can I tell you something um, super cool? You you tell me everything you want to tell me. <laughs> I So I played, um, one, one of the nights I was staying with some friends and we played Settlers of Catan, right? Best game. Yeah, it's it's a fun game, right? But actually, no, I, I tell a slight a slight lie. We didn't play Settlers of Catan. We played we Monopoly. Played, no, no, we played Osad Nichi's Katanu. So the Japanese version of Settlers. The Polish version. Oh, why did that sound really Japanese to me? Okay, the Polish version of Settlers. Right, okay. Right. I don't speak Polish. No, Obviously. You 
Yes. And you know when you know when you get like the the progress cards and like the the special benefit cards that you can buy. Um, so the rules are in Polish, and I didn't want to be like asking the people I was playing with to explain it to me because then they'd know what cards I had. But if you get the Google Translate app on your phone, you can take a photograph of text and it will translate text from a photograph. So I like I, I pulled a, a knight, I think, and I wasn't exactly sure how the knight worked. So I took a photo of it and Google Translate translated the rules on the card for me. Um, is this is this a revelation to you? I, yeah, I never knew this before. Isn't that cool? Now, you see, that that is cool, but I've become so accustomed to, like, the intricacies of translation software because of the captain. And she's constantly filling me in about, like, oh, I had this run in with this Korean person and we ended up sorting it out through this software. Um, right. So it is cool. The, the, the luster has somewhat lessened for me. Um, but the, I can do it from a photograph. But hang class. on, no, hang on, man. What what you need to go is you need to go one step more. I don't know the name of the app, but it's a VR app, uh, and you don't take a picture of the thing. You hold the phone up to the thing, and it recognizes the text, translates it, and overlays your translation onto what you're seeing. Dude, <laughs> the robots. That's freaky. Are, the robots are taking over, man. <laughs> That's freaky. It's amazing, like it's so cool. the The captain was like translating various uh, um, ingredients uh, lists on food products, and just hold up the phone and it replaces it with English. No, it's not perfect because no, um, no kind of machine learning thing is flawless at the moment, especially when it comes to language translation. But it's yeah. like it's it, it it's quite mind blowing when it gets it right. You're kind of like, oh boy, that's that is pretty cool. Mm. Um. And what else did I want to say about London? Um, uh, I went to Greenwich and I saw an old sailing ship called the Cuddy Sark. That was class. Um, I know that name was the, from somewhere. It was the fastest sailing ship in Victorian times. Yes, yes. Yeah. And it was like, it's been restored and it's like permanently moored or per- permanently like dry moored in, in Greenwich. And you can go you can go underneath it as well, which is class. It had gold um, blaster planks. Um, and i saw lots of clocks weirdly okay then just just kind of by coincidence well so i went to see the cuddy sark and i bought a combined ticket for the cuddy sark and the royal observatory thinking that the i saw like i saw a royal observatory on the sign and my brain went that's the maritime museum but of course it isn't the maritime museum the royal observatory is the royal observatory and the maritime museum is called the maritime museum now they're both in greenwich but there's loads of stuff in greenwich um and i really wanted to see the maritime museum because my whole sailing and napoleonic navy thing um but anyway i bought the ticket to the observatory so i went up there instead and it's really interesting and it has like the the harrison timepieces that like solve the the longitude problem in the late 1700s so that people could actually like navigate by longitude mm-hmm. um which wasn't possible before and they had like a big thing about time. And that's where like Greenwich Mean Time is calculated from. From the, a line running through the Royal Observatory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that was pretty interesting. Um, and then the next day I went to the Science Museum. And they had a, a huge thing about like the clockmakers of... And the watchmakers of London. Um, and then there was a thing about the Information Age. And they had a couple of different like clocks and watches and things in the Information Age. And then the following day I went to the British Museum. And they had a big thing about clocks. So there was like four separate... <laughs> four separate like museum things i saw concerning clocks in three days um but it was interesting 
I I saw a clock recently, right? Um, mm-hmm. And it was a twenty four hour a twenty four hour analog clock. What so it, it was like one to twenty four rather than one to twelve twice. Exactly one to twenty four. Yeah. And I looked at it, I was like, that's a standard clock. And then the more I looked at it, I was kind of like, oh, that's really weird. It's really strange looking. Like, you have to re- completely, like, just, it seems obvious because of a different layout, but you completely change, like, how you view time. Like, I view two o'clock as being, like, in the first quadrant of the circle. You know what I mean? Yeah. As in, like, when someone says, be there at two, an image of a clock pops up, pop up, pops up in my head, and two is that part of the circle and I know that that represents like daytime yeah. right whereas with the 24 hour clock it's kind of like you know 1400 it's like all the way down it's really weird like and you're kind of like oh that just I don't know it just completely makes you rethink time um, yeah and I'm a fan of those type of clocks like that do that there's one that was mentioned on Hello Internet before the slow watch or whatever and I believe this is a clock that does not have a minute hand it just it just has an hour hand the whole ethos is like time is what you make it you don't have to know things down to the nearest minute you know it's it's meant to just be more of a zen thing or whatever and i really like how just design changes on clock faces can inform how we think about time and it's a really interesting concept for me to engage with um and even as your bus though You'd miss the well, no, but you have like your phone and stuff. But what I mean is, like, when you're like, Oh, I'm in a hurry, and you like look at your clock, it's like the clock and it's it tells you you're somewhere around two o'clock. It just yeah. causes you to be like, It's okay, it's fine. Um, and I think it's quite a cool that obviously it's really hipster, but it's kind of a cool thing in the modern world to just like treat time mm. that way. And I remember when I was younger as well, it's kind of like the concept of a clock without any numbers. That was the first time I was kind of like, You rethink time slightly there, like, time is positional as opposed to numeric do you know mm-hmm. what i mean and that that's really interesting as well so it's just it goes to my whole shtick about liking design how design affects how we yeah. uh, engage with a thing you know um but yes clocks ornith no not ornithology <laughs> horology 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 no. is it horology horology yeah uh, there's a there's a fella in in college he's currently second level now and uh, he is not considering a career in music despite the fact that I think that he is uh, quite a good musician, he is uh, considering a career in horology. Cool. Like actually like manually making mechanical clocks. Manually. Well, I'm assuming his life will pan out that he's going to be fixing uh, rather than making. But yes, it involves like learning how to construct like grandfather clocks and maintain them and all that sort of thing. Like, which is cool. Which is, which is really cool. Like it's totally Mm. a dying art here, but like it's cool that someone wants to do it. (laughs) Yeah. Um, and p- part of the of the exhibit, particularly in the the Royal Observatory, um, or one one of the exhibits they had was like looking at time and looking at the different kind of, you know, how how time has how how our perceptions and how our conceptions of time have changed over history. And obviously, me being me, that you know, interrogate the base idea here. That I found that quite interesting. Um, hmm. you know, like. There was no need for, like, second accuracy in the 1400s. You didn't even really need to know what hour it was in a lot of respects in the in the, in the 1400s. Like, yeah. it was just, you know, it's the morning and I just do this stuff in the morning and then I'll be hungry and I'll have lunch and then the bells will ring for noon or whatever. Um, yeah, exactly. And, and I think could... That, that could be an interesting thing to people consider for world building. Exactly. And I think another interesting thing is about, like... Uh 
especially if you're doing world building to like um interrogate how we do things in the real world like the mm. idea of like divisions of the day and yeah. what would be like you're saying like what's kind of optimal the divisions like interrogating the idea like is an hour actually relevant like is it too much or too little is 12 divisions or 24 as the case maybe is that too many or too much like how what would function if you half that like what would happen mm-hmm. if you doubled that which i think is very interesting um and something people don't really engage in that much because it's kind of like an hour is just an hour and it's and i think people are just kind of like that's a set amount it took yeah you know it took two hours to get here and no one ever questions that perhaps in a world in your world that the hours mean something different you know yeah and um, i think people would question that even less than they question things like you know weights and distances and measures and stuff yeah um, exactly because sometimes exactly. you do see that you sometimes you do see like in in the wheel of time there's their their measurement system is slightly different yeah you see well i mean you see stuff like mm, i don't know if it's questioning but you see stuff like uh putting back in archaic forms of measurement like leagues and yeah. things like that um yeah. But yeah, you don't. But like in in the wheel of time, he uses the same terminology, but they have different absolute meanings. Oh, like okay. Inches and, inches and feet don't mean the same thing as they do in, like, speaking English using the imperial system. That's quite an interesting way of doing it because it means that yeah. if you really want to get into it, you can under try and understand that. But if you don't, yeah. you can still just your your head cannon can just be like an inch is an inch, and that's it. Yeah, and like it's roughly similar. Like you're not going to be completely off. But it's not exactly the same. Right, exactly, yeah, yeah. Like, an inch is the, the distance from the top of your finger to your palm, as opposed to whatever thumb or whatever yeah. it is based on. Um, that's actually a really interesting concept. Keep the same nomenclature, but just define it differently so people have the option to interpret it how they will. Yeah. Hmm. There, there's an interesting... Um, this is going a, a little bit further off topic, but there there's an interesting um, uh, argument... Not an argument exactly, but point relating to that in a neil stevenson book he wrote this book called anathame and it's it's set on a planet that is not earth um but it uses a lot of like normal concepts like you know carrots and rabbits and things and there's a there's like a note of translation or something near the beginning of it where it says look we're just you know we're translating this into english it's not actually talking about a carrot, but the concept is close enough that we can say carrot. It'll mean roughly the right thing, and you'll you know you'll get the gist of what we're talking about. Yeah, like when they say carrot, they don't mean steak. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, they, they mean, mean some they mean, sort of uh, root vegetable. Yeah, they mean like a slightly sweet root vegetable right. that is you know pretty much the same as the carrots that are on Earth, but pink. Potentially, I don't know. <laughs> carrots used to be blue, so or purple or something. Carrots used to be blue. Yeah, I think so. I think Did there's they? something about them being orange. It was a favored, a favored breed because orange was the like the Dutch royal color, and they were imported through through Holland or something like that. Get out! I question. I, so. the, I question the blue doll. Not many things are blue. IRL. There's blue potatoes, you know? but they're they're specifically made to be blue. Uh, well, I suppose. To... And also the definition of blue is pretty loose sometimes. Like when people say, like, oh, I have a blue cat. It's like, you have a grey cat, sir. Um, it's not really maybe, blue. Maybe they're more like purple the way like aubergines are. Could be, yeah, exactly. Or like purple cabbage. Could be that purple. Um, I don't know. Like red cabbage? No, like purple cabbage. Wait, hang on. Is that different to red cabbage? Hmm. Is it now? You're making me question things. 
I don't know. <laughs> Edgar doesn't understand vegetables or colour. <laughs> that's the case with me. Oh, um, so I think that's I think that's all of my green room topics. I'm I'm checking up on the cabbage. <coughs> now you see this thing looks to me like purple cabbage. Like Google purple cabbage there. Okay, and I'll see if it looks the same as red cabbage to me. Purple cabbage. Yeah, and also one of the autocomplete selections was yeah, it's the same thing. Red cabbage, also known as purple cabbage. Oh, okay, great. Okay. So I know it as purple cabbage. Um, but yeah, if you like, I got I put in purple ca and purple carrots is one of the is one of the suggestions. Oh. Okay. Yes, yeah, yeah, comes so, from Afghanistan. So I suppose if that's not photoshopped in any way, those the, yeah they're they're more purple than blue, like you know you don't really get ultra meat ultra 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 ultra. ultra Ultra marine. That's the word I'm looking for, isn't it? Ultra, ultra marine is very, very blue. Yeah, it's very blue. You don't really get ultra marine uh, carrots, uh, ultra marine vegetables in real life. Okay, I googled carrot original color, and um, orange carrots get their bright orange color from beta carotene. That's a hilarious name for that. Um, <laughs> the origin of the cultivated carrot is rooted in the purple carrot in the region around modern day Afghanistan. So, so they're purple rather than blue. Yeah, but again, this whole discussion about what purple is and what blue is, and when it comes to vegetables, like it's, they're not orange, is what we're talking about. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay. Now, Bill. Uh, yeah. So, interesting, uh, colorful vegetable topic aside, do you have <laughs> anything else to add on your adventures, or are we are we uh, wrapping up? Adventures. Oops. Adventures. Um. No, I don't think so. Cool. Uh, I, I, I have something to top up, but we're going to run over time. We said we were going to be really strict and work to time this time. So I'll perhaps throw that in uh, the next green room, I suppose. Great. Uh, cool. So I will talk to you very soon. You um, certainly will. And it was a pleasure as always. And <laughs> Edgar out. Edgar out. <laughs>